during the course of our practice. It's not unusual to have doubts about why we practice and where we're headed in the practice. Or just to get distracted from the practice, caught up in our delusions, desires and so on. So one very direct way to re-establish mindfulness of the path is to recollect the Buddha. We are fortunate that the Buddha's words are preserved in the Tripitaka for us to still be able to read and hear. We know who the Buddha was. Sama Sambuddha, completely enlightened, self-enlightened. Sometimes they call him Tathagata, sometimes Sapanyu Buddha, the all-knowing Buddha. We're fortunate we have an enlightened teacher as our guide and his teachings are still available to us. The Vinaya is still available to us. We're practicing the same Vinaya that the Buddha taught. <clears throat> the meditation techniques and the reflections that the Buddha taught and we're still using today. So it's a complete vehicle that can lead human beings to enlightenment, the end of all stress, suffering, liberation from samsara, the round of birth and death, liberation from attachment to the world and the suffering of the world. It's our good fortune that we've come into contact with a Buddha and the teachings of a Buddha so that we at least have that escape route available. The Buddha himself didn't just rush out to teach and try and help the world. His first duty was actually to practice for himself, train his own mind to understand and penetrate truth, resulting in the Four Noble Truths being penetrated so he could explain them to others. So his teachings were based on very solid foundation of personal practice, personal experience, training his own jitta, his own heart, bringing it to purity, peace, before 
he started to explain that to others, how to do it. It's the mind that we train, although the body, we use our bodies as, in the practice. It's, ultimately, it's the mind which at training. The Dhamma is what brings the mind to see truth. We practice the Dhamma, we reflect on the Dhamma, we learn it, we reflect on it, and we realize the Dhamma. Pachatang veditabo vinyuhi, as we chant. The wise know for themselves. Where do they know? They know in their jitter, their heart, their mind. So the Buddha trained his heart, his mind. Developing this path which we now practice. So it's a tried and tested pathway. Even if we do have doubts and distractions and delusions, at least we can sense the, vin uh, the wisdom of the Buddha. When you hear his words through chanting or reading, can sense that it is something that is very different from anything else the world has to offer. The wisdom is profound and deep and can explain how things come to be, how it is that human beings come to be experiencing suffering, how suffering arises, how to end it, how to liberate the mind from suffering. Once he was enlightened, then the Buddha spent many, many years teaching. And very patient. He was always a good example for other bhikkhus. He didn't exploit his position, say, as head of the Sangha, to take it easy or take advantage of other people. He was a very diligent practitioner and teacher walking around India for many, many years putting up with heat and cold tiredness the normal experiences of a human being he experienced them just like anyone else we know when he was living at Jetawana Monastery for many, many years how he would practice now he would, in the morning before Bindapata, he'd survey the world to see the states of minds of different beings, to see who may be suited to hear the Dhamma that day, who might be ready to receive teachings that would bear fruit for that person. Then he'd go out walking barefoot, Bindapata, into the villages, towns, come back, eat his meal, and he'd spend the daytime teaching 
in the monastery or sometimes going out, traveling, visit. Uh, as he was traveling through the countryside, he would teach people he met on his way. In the evenings he would teach the monks, the bhikkhus. When they had problems they would come to him. If there's no problems he'd just teach them anyway. Teach them some point of Dhamma. In the depths of the night when finished teaching the bhikkhus then the devatas, the Brahma gods would come to the Buddha and he could teach them. So very little time available to the Buddha other than teaching. Not much time for rest. This was built on the solid foundations of enlightenment, of having trained the Eightfold Path, to perfected it. His mind, as he said, the mind of a Buddha, very firm, and all-knowing because he's trained in mindfulness and insight. And why do we come to practice the Dhamma? Because our minds are not firm and there's not much insight, especially in the beginning. We practice the Dhamma because we can see our minds are often quite weak. We get caught into pleasure and displeasure, happiness, suffering, laughter and crying. Often with hardly any prompting, the mind goes into little different emotional states. Just hear a few words from somebody and you get excited or laugh. Different, hear a few more words criticism or an insult, the mind becomes sad or angry. We experience pleasant weather, we're happy, unpleasant weather, we're down. The mind is so easily affected by the conditions of the world because we haven't trained it, haven't practiced. So the Buddha pointed out this weakness of human beings who are untrained in the Dhamma constantly having to experience ups and downs of life, but experience that mentally, not just physically and externally, but mentally, the mind easily affected by the different conditions of the world, the different experiences we have, never very peaceful. So he gave us this, this way of training training in the Vinaya, training in meditation. And we train in the Vinaya to support the deepening of our practice internally, to develop developing meditation. If we haven't got some external discipline, learning just to live peacefully, harmoniously with other bhikkhus and then with the wider society, then difficult to, inter to develop any peace internally in our minds. So the Vinaya gives us some discipline, some restraint, composure, simplicity, 
also supports a harmonious environment for meditation. When we practice the Vinaya, then we get on well together easily. There's not a lot of problems in a community, say in a monastery, between bhikkhus when they're all keeping the Vinaya. So we don't have to waste a lot of energy and time on solving problems between people and those kind of things. When there's harmony, then it's easy to go deeper into your meditation. It's also a source of support for the lay community. When they see monks practicing the Vinaya, it inspires them. So they want to support bhikkhus. So it's in our own interests to practice the Vinaya. But it's a way of helping the lay community by providing them with an example. We follow the rules, we live in a peaceful, harmonious way. That's what people need to see because the world is not always a peaceful, harmonious place. There's a lot of conflict and suffering in the world. So just by keeping the Vinaya, we provide some kind of example for the laity to inspire them and guide them in their lives when they come into contact with bhikkhus. With that firm foundation, then we develop the rest of the path in daily life, practicing mindfulness. Mindfulness, a lot of it is just about remembering the Dhamma, remembering the Vinaya, remembering the Dhamma. Keep bringing the mind back to the Dhamma. Not always just a meditation object, but also remembering the Dhamma in different situations to help solve any mental suffering or just direct the mind to that which is skillful and wholesome. Because it's the habit of an untrained mind to fall into delusion. We lose our mindfulness and we end up caught up into different moods, emotions very easily. So we develop regularly what we call Barikama Pawana, Barikama meditation object, a basic or preparatory meditation object that we keep coming back to. <clears throat> like an anchor in daily life, keep returning to Buddha or the breath or the reflection on death. We keep coming back to the Barikama as a way of bringing the mind back to the present moment. When we bring up mindfulness in the present moment, then Automatically, we also, it's also having a good effect on the past and the future. When we say having a good effect on the past, doesn't mean to say we can travel back into the past in time, but the effects of the past are purified, dealt with skillfully when we have mindfulness in the present. And whatever we've done in the past, good or bad, when it arises in ways of, we have memories, we have ways of thinking and attitudes that we've inherited from our own past. 
physical and mental experiences that are coming up in the present but conditioned from the past. The establishing of mindfulness and skillful states of mind in the present has a good effect on the past. In the sense we treat it in the proper way, the correct skillful way, so it doesn't cause suffering in the present. Even bad memories, unhappy memories, negative states of mind based on the past can be treated well in the present through establishing mindfulness and wisely reflecting. And if we make the present good, then the future becomes good because the future arises out of the present. So we never have to wonder where the place of practice is in terms of time. We just establish mindfulness in the present moment and reflect on the Dhamma. In terms of place, it's not going to some special place, it's where you are right now, right here, right now. Whether you're in the monastery, at your kuti, in the hall, working out on the grounds, you're visiting other places, traveling. In the place of practice is right here, right now, wherever you are. Re-establishing mindfulness, composing the mind, composing body and mind, and reflecting on Dhamma. Remembering the Dhamma, applying the Dhamma. As the Buddha said, human life is brief, it's a small thing. Apang jiwitang, life is short, brief. We're not actually here in this world for very long. It's another delusion we have, particularly when we're young. It feels like we'll be here for a long, long time, many years. But actually it's a very brief period. So our opportunity to train this mind in the path is not long. It's the easiest thing in the world to let time slip by, to be complacent or just to get distracted and then to realize at a later day how, how much we've let the mind just slip by and didn't use our time in the best way maybe. So the reflection on impermanence and the impermanence of this life, so the reflection on death, brings up that urgency in the practice. You know, we will not be here forever. We will not have a body and mind available to train forever like in this way. We get older every minute. All the area pugilas, all the noble ones, always upheld a practice of Maranānu Sati. Maranangmi Bhavisati, a recollection of death, constantly aware that they will not be around forever. Time is short. Need to get on with the Dhamma practice. 
bring the mind to the Dhamma rather than get, let it get distracted by the world and what the world has to offer. Because the world only brings us back to suffering again, creates more delusions and attachments, more happiness and suffering, more confusion for the mind. So to constantly recollect the impermanence of this life, this body doesn't last forever. To help support the arising of mindfulness and the right view, applying the teachings to our experience. The right view makes you careful that you don't want to make a lot of negative karma that just brings more obstacles to your practice. So we want to keep our sila and not create conflict or difficulties with others and so on. And then we don't want to let the mind get caught into distraction. Because life is short, we want to keep mindfulness fresh. Training in the meditation techniques and then reflecting on the nature of phenomena and each dukkha anatta. There really isn't a lot that we can hold on to in this world as self that is permanent, is a source of happiness that is self. And we just keep investigating that truth. And this body is the vehicle which we move around life in. And we see things, hear things, taste things, touch things with this body. But all those experiences are very brief, temporary, providing pleasure and pain. Nothing to be grasped at as any permanent kind of happiness or self. As we practice the Dhamma, then we keep coming back to reflect on that, establish mindfulness and just notice what the mind gets caught up in is just a source of more suffering. We keep practicing putting things down, letting things go, freeing the mind from attachment, coming back to a place of calm, calm knowing in the mind of Bhutto, where it knows experience but is not grasping on, holding on with delusion. Often when we practice like this, then the mind tends to also go to a bit towards aversion, which or can't, I don't really care about anything because it's all impermanent. You still have to investigate that, that, that mind of aversion or not caring is also another form of attachment, causing more stress, more suffering. The mind of Bhutto or the mind of developed through the power factors is the mind of equanimity, neither taking pleasure in nor averse to experience. It's the pe truly peaceful mind. They're not creating or adding anything on to experience. You know, the Buddha always finding similes, you know, like the, the mind that's like the earth, not 
affected by whatever's going on on top of it. You walk around the monastery, you're working, walking on the earth, it never complains about what people do on top of it. Animals urinate and defecate on the earth, but it never complains. It's just still and quiet. Or people do very wholesome things. They build Buddha statues and meditate and chant on top of the earth. Where the, the, the earth is just still and quiet, whatever's going on. It doesn't complain, doesn't get excited. This is the Buddha's simile for the mind of equanimity towards conditions. Not grasping at, not rejecting, not liking, disliking. Just accepting the way things are. Accepting the way this world is, as anicca, dukkha, anatta. In the end, this is the only way to loosen our delusions, our attachments, keep bringing the mind back to mindfulness in the present moment and reflecting in this way and see the impermanence, the lack of self in things. So there's this characteristic of or this quality of letting go, letting go with mindfulness, with insight. This has a liberating effect on the mind. The results speak for themselves. If the mind is becoming brighter, more peaceful, more happy in a spiritual or transcendent way, then that's a sign that you know, letting go is correct. And letting go with wisdom. Not just running away from experience or trying to change it through distraction, trying to find <clears throat> some other more interesting thing to attach to, but actually knowing the, the nature of nama, rupa, body, mind, physical phenomena, mental phenomena this world, this, this is the way it is, not to be grasped at, not to be clung on to. So practicing regularly, over and over again, keeping the Rules of training, developing the meditation techniques, reflecting on the Dhamma, you know, little by little, this is developing that skill, the equanimity towards conditions. This is how the Buddha practiced, this is how the noble ones have practiced. So I'll leave you with these words to reflect on tonight.